Welcome to Coinology, the podcast. You ain't getting no money if you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to closing the deal, I get it done. Welcome to Coinology, the podcast. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of Coinology. Today, we have a very special episode for you. It's going to actually be two parts. I have a special guest in the room. Most of you guys may know her by Coach Stormy, but we also are going to call her today Stormy. She's known as Stormy Wellington, Stormy Nicole Wellington, Coach Stormy. But I want us to pull back the layers and actually get to know the woman known as Stormy. Welcome to the Pornology Studios. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. So why are you here in, in Atlanta? Well, I'm here because I'm back in my bag. Okay. Uh, Atlanta started my journey to all of my success. I moved here in, back in 2008 made my first million dollars in my first 12 months. And it's like, I got to come back to Atlanta to skyrocket and to jumpstart anything that I do when it comes to my vision and helping a thousand families make six to seven figures a year. So I just believe in seed time harvest. Mm -hmm. And I had to sow a seed in Atlanta before I did anything. So for those who don't know, which are probably very few people, Stormy is considered one of the top multi-level marketing experts in the world, not African-American, not right. female woman, but top across the board. Correct. You've earned how much money since you've been in network marketing, not just with the company you're with now, but in totality, how much money have you earned? I earned about $60 million mm -hmm. in my entire career, which is close to 15 years. November will make 15 years for me. $60 million. Yes, that's crazy. And so I, I don't want to slide past that because I think most times when I tell people about your story and I say how much money that I knew that you made, I didn't know it was $60 million. I think I always said something about 20 or $30 million. Mm -hmm. Most people say that can't be true. I know. They don't believe it. She can't be just doing that, right? So, so, but you're saying in network marketing, you've made over $60 million over a 15-year period. Correct. Right. Six zero. Six zero. Yes. And what is your educational background? Uh, ninth grade. I dropped ninth out of school grade. in the ninth grade. Ninth grade. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're probably one of the richest persons that you know. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's go back a little bit. <laughs> let's go back. Let's go all the way back because... Getting to the level that you're at right now doesn't come without a lot mm -hmm. of pain, mm -hmm. a lot of challenges. We're going to talk about it. You're going to actually have an opportunity today to talk about things you never talked about before. Okay. Right? We're going to really pull back the layers to really get to know Stormy at a different level. I don't want to, you know, reference you as Coach Stormy because I think at that point people are looking at you from a TLC perspective okay. or for any other business that you're associated. I want people to get to know you as a woman, okay, a successful black woman who's had many challenges and many different layers. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk. Let's start off. Let's go all the way back to your childhood. So, Stormy, where were you born? I was born in New York. New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bronx. Bronx, New York. Yeah. Um, Two-parent household? No. My mom and my dad separated. So right before I was born, they yeah, they, they split ways. So my, I come from a single-parent household. My mm -hmm. mom 
was about to have an abortion with me. I don't know if you read my book. I did. But yeah, no, we they were separated. Mm -hmm. And I did. And in your book, I saw that's where the name Stormy came from, right? Stormy, the potentially the abortion. What talked her? Did, did she ever share why she did not abort you? Yeah, my mom was like literally at the abortion clinic mm -hmm. and the doctor told her no because she was five months pregnant when she wanted so to So she was abortion. too far along. She was too far along, but the doctor was going to do it. Mm -hmm. And she came to the doctor one day. She went through the whole, you know, um, procedures. And um, he told her, I'll do it tomorrow. Come back tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Mm -hmm. But my dad ended up, you know, going to the house to, to see her randomly. He didn't know what she was planning on doing. And they got into an argument about her having this abortion. And by the time she ran out the door to get to the abortion clinic, it was like 12.01. So by the time she got there, it was late. And he said, I I'm not doing it. I told mm. you, you should have been here at 12 o'clock. Mm. So if fate didn't step in, I, I wouldn't be here. In the mm. form of my dad and, you know, God had a bigger plan. So, yes, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that situation that happened with my mom and my dad. Okay. Born and raised in the Bronx. How long before you moved from the Bronx? Um, I was in the Bronx till about the age of six, six years old. Mm -hmm. So I don't really... Remember being raised in New York? Mm -hmm. I was raised in Miami, so when, when people normally ask me, like, where you from? And I'm like, Miami, because all I know is I was born in New York, but my remembrance as a child, my biggest remembrance come from being in Miami. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and when you were in Miami, who did you live with there? My mom, when she was around, my mom sold drugs. My mm -hmm. dad was with his new family in New York, and so whenever my mom was around, it was my mom. Mm -hmm. And if she wasn't hustling or trafficking or in jail, um, I was with her mm -hmm. when she was gone, which was a lot of the times we had to figure it out. I was mm -hmm. live with friends. I was, I spent like two and a half years in foster care, so it just depends on what age and what time. But between my mom, foster care, and figuring things out, what are some of the most um, memorable moments of your childhood during that period? Mm, it's a couple of things. I remember, you know, seeing my mom, you know, um, handle her business as a as a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember seeing big keys of cocaine and. By the time I was six years old, I knew what a whole key of cocaine looked like. I knew my mom um, ran her own business. I knew that what she did was dangerous. Um, I remember her friends, you know, being hustlers and the killers and the gangsters, the Jamaican mm -hmm. posse. Um, I remember my mom, she never learned how to drive. So she always had, a, you know, a driver or court cabs. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I get it from. My mom was always super fly, you know. Um, we, we Jamaican, so my mm -hmm. mom had a dressmaker. If you didn't have a dressmaker, you wasn't hitting on nothing. So my mom was always fly. I remember that. It's interesting. My daughter and I was doing our makeup this morning in the mirror, and I had a, a, a flashback moment. I remember being in the mirror watching my mom put on her makeup. So it just it just depends. I just I just remember having, you know, a, a loving mother. My mother was a, a go getter. The way she showed us love was by providing for us. I remember that. Did you ever think that you were gonna follow in her footsteps? No, no, I remember telling her one day, I'm so inspired by you. And um, I, I purposely did this, I'm like, I'm so inspired by you. And she was like, yeah, excited. I'm like, yeah, not to be like you. My mom sold drugs. Mm -hmm. And you know, honestly, for me, even as an adult, looking back at that um, season in my life, like I be believe if you wanted to buy drugs and she had it for you, then that's, that's your business. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't think it was cool because my mom wasn't present a lot. And because of it, you know, we had to figure a lot of things out. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a stripper at 13 years old. At 13. Yes, 13. 13. So you you actually, how did that happen? How did you? So um, my mom was off doing her thing in Jamaica, and she couldn't come back. I don't really remember what happened, but she was, like, stuck in Jamaica for a long time. And I had a friend named Mona. She was super fine, super beautiful. Uh, she was one of them long-haired, coolie girls. And I was about 13, and she used to come home from school mm -hmm. and go dance at night. 
and um, she would bring home all this money and just throw the money on the floor. And then one day I came home from school and the water was off. And my mom's boyfriend wasn't working. He was waiting on her to bring home some money. And so weeks went by and the water stayed off. And then I'm, I figured out how to figure things out. And I saw my friend come home with all this money all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how you, how you doing that? And she told me how to get a fake ID. I went and got a fake ID. And um, that's kind of how I started. I remember going to the strip club one day with a friend, just to, my friend owned, family owned the strip club. And I went with him in the club. And again, I'm remembering my friend bringing home all this money. And I remember and hearing this story, was just, oh my God, I had on a black suede skirt, a black suede vest. And I remember this man walked up to me and said, I'll give you $600 if you lift up your skirt. And in my mind, I'm like, hell no, nah, who you talking to? But then I thought about it, wait, hold a minute. Wait, the water off at home, ain't no groceries in the refrigerator. Maybe I should take them $600. And he so happened to walk back and was like, what's up? He gave me $600 the next day. I bought some groceries and turned the water back on. Mm-hmm. And I just saw how easy it was to make some money. So And they knew you were 13? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I mean, I was mature. Mm-hmm. I, I was very, I handled myself mature. I looked kind of mature. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I looked young, but I don't think nobody knew I was 13. Mm-hmm. No, no. And the teachers, nobody at the schools knew that you were stripping at night? No, 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 no. Nobody knew. That was mm-hmm. my secret. So, and, and you had plenty of girlfriends who were probably having double lives too, right? Yeah, I mean, well, most of my friends had moms and dads. So none of the parents ever said, Stormy, where's your mom? I haven't seen her in two weeks. How are you eating? You know, no village came in and say Mm-mm. nobody was wary. Kind of just fend for yourself. I, I think that I, I covered it up real well. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. make it obvious. I wasn't, like, walking around like a damsel in distress. Like, these new kids probably would have been stressed out. Mm-hmm. I, didn't sh- <laughs> I didn't show it. I was not going to embarrass my mom. Mm-hmm. So I didn't show it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember one of my youngest childhood memories is going in the kitchen, stealing food from my friend's house to eat in the bathroom because I, I used to be hungry sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I, didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm hungry, feed me. No, mm-hmm. I kept it real discreet. Mm-hmm. I, I was protecting my mom's reputation. And so how long were you a stripper? So I, I played around with stripping from the age of, like, 13 to, like, 16. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped because my mom came home. Um, and then I ended up going back, like, really, like, a real, oh, I'm a stripper now. When Did I your was mom like, know that you stripped from 13 to 16? Mm, you know what? I don't think so. She didn't. I, I was very discreet. So you were, so she didn't ever ask, where are you going? She wasn't home, remember? Right. So from 13 to 16, she was actually gone. No, she'll be back. And when she came back, I would turn back into her little daughter. Okay. Yeah, I knew how to play and do what I had so to do. So nobody came and called and said, hey, you know your daughter is nothing. Nothing, right? Mm-mm. So you had your- I went to places that nobody knew knew us. Knew. How did you get over there, though? You I couldn't mean, drive. I, got, I mean, I had I had boyfriends and men and mm-hmm. little dates that would pick me up and mm-hmm. catch a cab. We making two, three, four grand a night. Mm-hmm. I'd catch a cab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody mm-hmm. I met the night before picked me up. It was that's easy. Yeah, it wasn't Ubers and stuff back then. Yeah, no Ubers, right? <laughs> you know, a a a a a a. Remember the cabs? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to call them. Call them. So fifteen, you had your first child, though, right? I had my first child at fifteen. Okay, so your mom had to know something then. So basically, um, I, I covered it up. My mom didn't know I was pregnant until I was five months pregnant. So did she think you were still a virgin, or did she kind of know you were out there? She she used to think I was a virgin. So she was shocked when you came yeah. home pregnant. Yeah. So how did you tell her? I didn't tell. I just started dressing differently. She didn't know till I was five months. Wow. And when she found out, it's because I used to, I started wearing my baby daddy's clothes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's cool. It's cute. You know, mm-hmm. I still have my nails done and my hair done, but I started wearing Tommy Hilfiger and polo outfits and 
Uh, one day she was like, come here. And she rubbed my stomach and she was like, and she just broke down. And she was like, you need to go have an abortion. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, like this close to having an abortion with my now oldest child, Hennessy. Mm -hmm. And what stopped you? You know, I was five months pregnant. Like your mom was with you, right? Yep, yep. Uh -huh. Generational curse, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, yep. I was mm -hmm. five months pregnant. Um, and I, I didn't want to have an abortion. Like my, my son's father was like, that dude, like, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, you about to have a baby. And mm -hmm. back then it was like, yeah, have a baby, keep a man. It's a big deal, right? Yeah. And especially if he was that dude. And who gonna take care of me, you right. know, because he was taking care of me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't I didn't want to have an abortion. Like, I wanted to have the baby. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was five months, like, I was at the stage where you could feel the baby moving and all that. Mm -hmm. And so I was, like, going against her. I was not trying to, to do it. And then my aunt called her from London and told her, if, if you make Stormy have that abortion, she's going to die on an abortion table. She had a dream. And so once my mom heard that, it was like, okay. So she, we figured it out from there. Mm -hmm. So she immediately kicked into grandma mode, or was it kind of difficult at first? No, nah, my mom is a real Jamaican. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Jamaicans. We real Jamaican. She was hot. My mom was angry. My mom was angry mm -hmm. up until the day my son was born. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't even about being embarrassed. It's like, do you want your 15-year-old with a baby, a baby having a baby. Mm -hmm. So she didn't think about how she left me and how I had to figure things out. That went out the door. It's like, what you doing pregnant? You're supposed to be a virgin. Mm -hmm. And so, no, she didn't handle it well at all. But she eventually, you know, and I had Hennessy that became her baby. Mm -hmm. And were you able to stay in school when you had Hennessy? No, I didn't want to stay in school. I, that's that's why so I you, at out. that point, you were you were grown. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a baby. I'm having a baby. Mm -hmm. I got to work. I got to, mm -hmm. I mean, my dad, I remember calling my dad one day, asking him to give me some money for some pampers. And he mm -hmm. like, you don't call me, you call your baby daddy. Mm -hmm. So I had to get money. I wasn't thinking about education. That was too slow motion for me. Mm -hmm. I knew how to read. I knew how to do some math. And, and it was time to go figure out how to make mm -hmm. money to take care of me and, and my son. And I ended up moving out of my mom's house. So I had to be a grown woman at that point. Mm -hmm. And mom, mom just immediately said, you know what, Stormy, you grown. You can handle it on your own. No, she, she didn't voluntarily just lean in. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, rebellious. I was like, I wasn't listening to her. I was doing what I needed to do. Because mm -hmm. at that point, she she wasn't stable. My mom was a drug dealer, very unstable. And plus, I decided to have my son. So she really had to kind of allow me to be an adult, kind of. Mm -hmm. So she was my mom the best way she knew how. But at that point, I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. And your relationship with your mom, was it always um, challenging when you were a child? It was never challenging. It wasn't? No, we, that's mm -hmm. my girl. My mom was my best friend. Mm hmm um, my mom was my best friend. I, I, for some reason, I still don't know how and why, but I understood at a young age that she was doing the best she could with the wisdom and the knowledge that she mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. So I never was angry with her. I never like resented her. Um, my mom used to even be on crack when I was a little kid. Like I remember my so mom. So you never shared that. So you, your mom actually was on crack. Yeah. And you saw her. Yeah. I used to know the difference between my mom smoked cigarettes, weed, and crack. Mm -hmm. And at the age of nine, I knew the difference when she was smoking cigarettes, weed, or crack. Well, how the lighter flicked. So one flick was a cigarette. Uh, no, one flick was a joint. Two flicks was a cigarette. Multiple flicks was crack. Mm -hmm. and, and we had Jack and Jill bathrooms. So I could hear her from my room, bathroom, her room. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I used to know the difference. The part of my mom getting off of crack was me. One day, I, I put my, my mouth to the door in the bathroom, and I went again. And she later on told me that she realized that I knew what was going on, and that's when she decided to quit. How did you know it was crack? How did you know? Because I used to clean up, and I would go underneath her bathroom cabinet, and I used to see the crack pipe, and I knew what the crack pipe looked and like. you immediately knew, hey, mom is on this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, back then, it's like things, you know, we, 
adults talked around kids and I knew what crack looked like because she mm -hmm. sold it. Mm -hmm. And so you could see the white residue in the thing and it's like, you heard about crackheads, you know, because of course where I'm from, crackheads is like homeless, dirty, mm -hmm. dingy. Mm -hmm. So at first I didn't know what was going on, but I ended up putting two and two together and I realized what was going on because as I would clean up, I would see the plate, the pipe, the rag, like I know what the whole situation looked like from my mm -hmm. mom. Did she ever share with you how she got on it? Because you know, typically you're not supposed to get high on your own supply. Yeah. No, she never explained, but I mean, I think it's kind of obvious if you selling something, you want to know if it works. <laughs> you mm -hmm. try it. Yeah, I hear that first pipe. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's like she want to know if it works, and mm -hmm. she end up trying it, and mm -hmm. and that's that's why I never, you know, try certain things because I may I, I may like it, and mm -hmm. then if I like it, I could get some more. So mm -hmm. you know, that's why. Mm -hmm. So I think she just tried it to see if it was a good product and got hooked on it. I got hooked. If you ask I know, me. and I see you pay homage to two fathers. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? How did you have? How do you have two fathers? Okay, so um, my father that lives with me is actually my brother's, uh, my oldest brother, Bobby. That's his biological dad. Mm -hmm. But that's really the dad that, like, taught me how to drive. That's the dad that let me buy a car in his name and I mess up his credit. Mm -hmm. That's the dad I'm like, hey, give me some money to start a business. That's the dad that, like, really was there for me growing up. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was there for me but not in my face. He was in New York, phone call away there for me. And so my brother's dad, which is the one who lives with me, who is, like, my man, um, he, like, raised me, taught me everything. Mm -hmm. And then my mom's deathbed, she asked me to take care of him. Mm -hmm. And so my biological father is dark-skinned. So mm -hmm. my brother's dad, we call him light-skinned, and my bi biological dad, we call him dark-skinned. And so basically my mom, before she passed away, she ended up making her two baby daddies become friends. So those are her two baby daddies. That's my, both my dads, mm -hmm. if you ask me. One mm -hmm. gave birth, one, st one stole the seed, and one helped to reap the harvest. Mm -hmm. So they both and my you, dads. You're, paying, you're definitely following the principles of honoring your mother and father. And that's important. Regardless of what you've been through, how, whatever, it's important to honor your mother and father. So I think that's very, very important. So you then went on and, and started back stripping again. And at 19, you were pregnant again, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. At that time, you were pregnant with your daughter. Correct. All right? And and I know if many people who know your story know that is when you decide, okay, I'm going to pull out of the strip club and move on into other lives. And, I, and for those who know, you had boutiques and you had other businesses, right? Mm -hmm, correct. So what other type of businesses did you actually run? So... I used to sell T-shirts mm -hmm. out of the trunk of my car. I would go downtown Miami and buy shirts wholesale. Mm -hmm. And um, I would retail jewelry. I will sell glasses. I will sell fake watches. And so first I started, you know, hustling out of the trunk of my car. Mm -hmm. And then I met my daughter's dad. And when I met my daughter's dad, he owned a, a building in Opelika. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to turn it into a, a men's clothing store. And because I had already learned how to buy things for wholesale and sell it for retail in the streets out of the trunk of my car, mm -hmm. um, I ended up working with his business. So he, you know, he was in the streets, you know, at the time. And um, when he opened up the business, he left it basically to me. Mm -hmm. I had to reorder clothes. I had to make sure the shelves was right. I had to open the door. I had to close the door. I had to pay the bills. And I kind of got thrown into running a business. I had to go to the magic shows, place the orders, mm -hmm. do the net 30s. And so that's how I really understood the power of, you know, really running a business. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I got into retail. And then when we separated, I'm one of them people like, I'm going to show your ass. Mm -hmm. So when we separated, um, I left him his store. Uh, he ended up seeing how much I was valuable because it ended up not lasting very long. But I opened up my own boutique. It was called Stepping in Style. 
So a lot of people don't know I used to make clothes. Mm-hmm. I could turn a pair of pants into a skirt. I could turn a, a pair of pants into a top. Mm-hmm. So I used to make rhinestone, tie-dye, custom-made clothes. Mm-hmm. So women would pay me anywhere between three to $1,000 to custom-make them outfit. And I did very, very well uh, doing that. And that lasted for about maybe four years. And then um, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And during 9-11, um, we had to close down, and somebody tried to deliver drugs to my store. To this very day, I don't know who did it. And so the police came, and it was this big old thing. I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm, I don't even feel comfortable. I feel violated, you know? And I opened up, end up opening up a children's store. It was called My, My Child Clothing. But let's let's go back to the drugs. You never mm-hmm. found out who tried to deliver drugs to your store? Somebody tried to deliver, like, pounds of weed to my store. So do you think that that was purposely to try to sabotage your business? No. Nah, I think somebody just saw opportunity to possibly have a drop spot, you know, and they saw that the business wasn't open, and they just was trying to I, – I, I don't think it was malicious. I just think it was somebody trying to get their product, and they saw my location as a prey. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up being a TSA agent, right? Yes. Now, how did you humble yourself to become a TSA agent when you were running boutiques and, you know, running businesses? So how did that come? So I opened up My Child Clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because that's when my, Manaya started to be a model. She mm-hmm. was, like, in my fashion shows, and <laughs> Hennessy would be in my fashion shows. Mm-hmm. And so um, that went well for a while, but... People, I, I've learned they'll spend money on themselves mm-hmm. before they spend money on their kids. So I didn't have cheap clothes. I had like high end, you know, urban wear and um, Moschino and all of that. And so when we went out of business because the money wasn't coming in, I have kids. You know, I'm not married. I'm not out here just living off the land. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out something stable. I kind of had got tired of the, the instability of the hustle. Mm-hmm. I did. And so I was always told, you know, get a good job, get good benefits and all that. And so I said, let me see how this benefit, good job thing work out. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I I was a TSA agent for about, like, two years. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, after a while, I just I didn't like how I felt. I used to feel like a peasant. When the fly girls would come through, throwing their bags on the conveyor belt, I was like, man, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to travel back and forth to Atlanta at the time. And so I ended up one day just walking off the job like I'm, I quit. And um, I ended up moving to Atlanta. And then that's where you discovered multi-level marketing, right? And which has now changed your life. Most people probably second-guessed you, didn't they? Yeah, nobody. So you got to remember, when you are not consistent with something, mm-hmm. inconsistency builds. Inconsistency or consistency can build your relationship mm-hmm. and your reputation. I don't think people understand inconsistent people are unreliable that you can't trust them, you can't believe nothing they say, you, you develop a lack of respect in the world. Mm-hmm. And so when I look back now, I, just, I wouldn't believe me either. Mm-hmm. One minute she's selling clothes, one minute she's selling adult clothes, one minute she's making clothes, one minute she's stripping, one minute she doing credit card scams and selling stuff, and, mm-hmm. and then now she trying to become this businesswoman. Mm-hmm. We don't believe her. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, I, I nobody believed me. My mom didn't believe me. My friends didn't believe me. Uh, the beautiful part is that I believe me. Mm-hmm. And to the point of the credit card scams and so forth, when we talk about it, if you have that type of mentality, most people are thinking everything you touch in must be a scam. A scam, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to get over that whole scam, scheme, pyramid type thought when you first entered the multi level marketing, right? No, not really. So, okay, so scamming and stealing, I, scamming uh-huh. and stealing people's identity is different than the multi-level marketing type of scam. Okay. So I knew that I wasn't 
trying to steal your checks and steal your identity and mm-hmm. use your credit to get anything. So that's one level of scamming. Mm-hmm. But in multi-level marketing, I thought it was a pyramid scheme at first. Okay. I did because mm-hmm. I used to listen to what everybody, everybody else was saying. That's all they said in our community, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, everybody's saying it's a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, so multi-level marketing must be a pyramid scheme. But when I started to see people that look like me making money, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let me understand, first of all, what is a pyramid scheme? And so I really was in a position where I needed something to work. Like, I wasn't trying to keep discrediting things that came my way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had moved here to Mm -hmm. to Atlanta, and I used to do collections. When I first moved here, I used to be the one that would call people to get them to pay their Sprint Mm -hmm. bill. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, and um, one day I actually collected over a million dollars in like a matter of like months Mm -hmm. and my boss ended up giving me a 25 cent raise and that experience is when I said okay I I gotta figure out something different it has to be another way Mm -hmm. so it's like I I became open-minded at that time and so when I attracted I believe Mm -hmm. I attracted network marketing at first I was like nah that's one of them scams but it was this it was this woman that reminded me of me Mm -hmm. she was like the typical black girl fly big booty little waist Mm -hmm. you know um, Chanel bag and so I'm like, she looked like me, mm-hmm. just I'm broke. Mm-hmm. And so me seeing her made me kind of believe that this may be something I need to take a serious look at. And that's really what I did. Mm-hmm. And became very, very, very successful. My first my first few months in network marketing, it was hard because my mom would look at me like, I can't believe you in that scam. Mm-hmm. All my friends would be like, you stupid in that scam. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believed in the product so much. And the product worked for me, so I, I worked on my mindset mm-hmm. and um, got in network marketing and became a big student. Like, I'm a big student of life. Mm-hmm. Like, to this day, I don't care how much money I make. I'm always learning something, picking up new things. And so my first actual um, month in network marketing, I made like $5,000. Mm-hmm. And, and that I, was pretty good back yeah, then, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I ended up leaving my job. I walked away from my job. I mean, so you walked away after making $5,000 for the first month? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. so, so I get into network marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm selling this product that could make me like a $75 profit off of every time I sold it. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to sell everybody at my job. And in my mind, I'm just trying to make an extra $500. Mm-hmm. But the people was very receptive at my job. My mom wasn't receptive. My friends wasn't receptive. But the strangers were receptive. And I ended up making like $300 like my first like day at work. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I like this. And then, like, my second day at work, like, people was like, oh, my God, let me let me buy that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I'm making $150 a day at my job, $120 a day at my job. This is stupid. I need to free up my time to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up just walking off my job one day. I didn't give no two weeks notice. I had a trunk full of product, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. I could... I could, you know, go hustle in the streets mm-hmm. and replace my income and have more time and more freedom. And so I left my job before I actually um, made money in network marketing. Mm. I just, I needed to free my time up. And you, you believed in yourself. I believed. And you I knew I was going to hustle. I, I made up in my mind that I was going to work it like a job. Mm-hmm. Most people start a business and try to work it like a, a, a business. Mm-hmm. You're not a business owner. You don't even know what it takes to be a business mm-hmm. owner. Mm-hmm. But I decided to tell myself in the beginning, if I got to be to work at 9 o'clock, I got to be to my hustle at 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. If I get up at 5 o'clock on my job, I'm a hustle until I make 150 a day. So I really gave myself a schedule, and my reward would be whenever I make $150, I'm off. Mm-hmm. So I found, like, a way to challenge myself. So if I would make 150 by 11 o'clock, it would be like, wow, girl, you did that thing. Mm-hmm. So you, like, you're basically off of work at 11. Mm-hmm. And it became a little game I played with myself. Mm-hmm. And so my first goal was to make 150 a day. I did it, mm-hmm. and I looked up, and I'm like, okay, I'm making 300 a day, 400 a day, 5000 a day. 
and boom. It just kept going. I just kept going. So I, I remember hearing about this phenomenal woman years ago, Stormy Wellington. I think this is well before you are now in the business that you're in now, mm-hmm. right? I just heard about it. I think you guys had a reality show or something with the old company oh or something God. like Am- that. Amateur Millionaires Club. Yeah, I remember that. And so, um, and then I remember it kind of went blank for a while, right? I know because I wasn't I'm, I wasn't a multi level marketer, so I wasn't really following. And then one day you pop back up on this new world of social media, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing you. You were in your home office. I think you were in Miami at that point. Mm-hmm. Short hair, and I remember you talking about this tea, and you were just talking, talking, talking. You were very talking fast about it. <laughs> you didn't have a whole lot of followers behind you at that point. I remember. I think you back then you may have only had like ten thousand followers or something at that moment. And I remember. I think it was Funky Dineva or someone. You you guys went viral because he kept saying these women scammers. are scammers, the tea scammers, and and so forth. And I always tell people, you know, some folks think that publicity only has to be good publicity in order for it to matter. Mm-hmm. Publicity is getting the noise that gets you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's bad. Mm-hmm. But people now know who you yes, are, indeed. right? Yes. And I've seen that happen to you multiple times in yes. your career, right? Yes. But before we get to those other times, how did that make you feel? Because I know you were just starting out something brand new, and he had the entire urban world believing that you were leading a pack of women that were scamming folks, mm-hmm. and the tea didn't work. It was mm-hmm. a big. How did that? How did you feel? I mean, at first I was mad. Mm-hmm. I just talked to Funky. I even like last week. I used to want to beat him up mm-hmm. because I'm like, here I am, a, a woman out here trying. The product work has changed my life. It's changed so many people's life. It can change your life and mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? I was so mad. If I would have saw Funky Dineva back then, I would have kicked yeah, he Funky Dineva behind. He was brutal. I remember he was <sighs> brutal, right? Oh, my God. But everybody started to learn about the tea. And I remember hearing and seeing people, and you had um, started building up some names of folks that, I mean, are still out there now doing some things and some other things and so forth. But then you got married. Right, I got married before the tea. Before the tea, okay. I was married before I got into tea. Okay, so it seems like, but you were, so you were a first lady, which I was saying to myself, okay, <laughs> Why would you, say that? you were, weren't you? The, wasn't the first lady of the church, right? No, so no. Um, let me just give you the story. <laughs> let you the, let's, let's, let's clear the record. Okay, I thought you were the first so, lady of the church. I lose my mom, August okay. 26, two thousand eleven. Okay. I'm holding her hand. I'm thinking she's having an anxiety attack. My mom was literally dying. Right? Okay, so is your mom still alive? Yes. Okay, so. For all, I the, don't. all the viewers, mm-hmm. when you don't have a mom, mm-hmm. you feel like you are in the world by yourself. It is okay. one of the hardest things to deal with. Like, you literally feel like nobody owns you in the world. Mm-hmm. So I meet this man. He's charming. He's fine. He's in the military. He could protect me. I don't feel alone. He's mm-hmm. he's making six figures a year. And, um, you know, we end up getting married, like, December 31st, 2012. Mm-hmm. Because this prophet came into my life and was like, that's your husband. And back then I was ultra churchy. Like mm-hmm. you went like titties and all oh, that. Oh yeah, you oh, were very no yeah, you were very churchy. You remember? Uh huh. I remember. Skirt down on my knees. Very long. churchy. I wouldn't show mm-hmm. no skin. Mm-hmm. I was. That's powers. why I thought you were the first lady. So let me tell you. So I get with him. He's not in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm gonna speak on this, and no pun intended, but it's just my truth, right? Mm-hmm. So I joined this church, and anything I touch turns to go. I make anything big. It's mm-hmm. just an anointing I have on my life. Mm-hmm. So I go to this church, and I fall in love with the church and the pastor. 
And of course, if you love something, I believe when you love something, you champion for it. That's, That's right. what I truly believe. Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love with the church. And so I used to promote it and bring people and pay tithes and pay my offering and my people. I was big on always principle-based woman. I always mm -hmm. teach people principles. So I'm telling my people. So the church started elevating. And so the pastor was smart. My husband at the time wanted to pursue ministry. And so the pastor, he didn't go through no seminary school, no nothing. Mm. The pastor ordained him. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of that today. Somebody's no business. Right. I'm seeing a lot of that today. I'm just telling the truth. Mm -hmm. He didn't go through no seminary school, mm -hmm. no nothing. But the pastor like, let me lock this lady down in my because church. Because she's bringing in the money. Come on. Right. Keep it real. That's mm -hmm. what he did. So mm -hmm. then I didn't marry this man thinking I'm going to be no first lady. Mm -hmm. He was a military guy. Mm -hmm. You understand? And so when the man made him a pastor, so I became a first lady because the pastor made him a pastor. And I already know it was a hidden agenda because... Mm -hmm. I ain't mm -hmm. had no business as no first lady, mm -hmm. and he ain't had no business as no pastor. And even though you knew it was a hidden agenda, did you stay at the church or did you leave? I stayed for a while, mm -hmm. and then I, I started to learn how much environments affect you. Mm -hmm. And even though more money came, I didn't see no growth at the church. I didn't see no growth in my pastor at the time, his marriage. Mm -hmm. And I ain't staying nowhere where there's no growth. Mm -hmm. I'm out. And so I end up, in the, you know, one day leaving the church eventually, but I, I ignored the, the hidden agenda because, you know, a lot of times when you want something, you're in denial. So I wanted it. I wanted to make it real. So I made it real. And that provided you some type of security because of losing your mom, right? He, the man provided me security. Okay. In my mind, it was false security. Mm -hmm. I thought it was security, but it, it wasn't. It was just temporary. That's why we're not together now. Mm -hmm. And how long were you married? I was married for like two years. Oh, wow. It was only two years. I was only married for like two years. How did you know that it was over? So it, it it became a time where we wouldn't even sleep in the same room. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't we'd would be in the car and wouldn't talk to each other. We'd get out in the car and hold hands and put on this facade like we were so in love and hey honey and kiss me and all this in front of people. And mm -hmm. we'd get in the car and won't say not one word to each other. Mm -hmm. And then it got worse. We got home and we started sleeping in separate rooms. He walked past me in the hallway. I walked past him in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And um, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was um, <laughs> I don't even know why I'm telling this story, but. He, he lost his gun in the house. Mm -hmm. And my son um, at the time was like not even two years old yet. So imagine your child and you don't know where this gun is. So mm -hmm. I was I was petrified. And then you know, I, I have like this intuitive thing about myself. Um, I felt like one of my friends and him had something going on and come to find out his number wasn't her phone and her, mm -hmm. her phone number was in his phone, which was not like, how you get her number? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nah, I deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I stay here, I'm not gonna end up where I see myself. Did you verify if it was an affair going on? It wasn't an affair. I don't know if it was an affair. Mm -hmm. Something was going on. Why my friend got your number? Why you got my friend number? Y'all texting each other. Mm -hmm. That was not cool. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all I needed. Can't you, find... Were you looking for an out? Cause you, you know, there, there's marital counseling. There's, two years is pretty early to already. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm not gonna say I was looking for out, but I mm -hmm. knew we wasn't compatible. I, there was no my my one of my philosophies to life is progress is the key to happiness mm -hmm. and the glue that makes happiness stick. Mm -hmm. We had no progress. I was the one trying to figure everything out. I didn't I didn't get better. I didn't get happier. I didn't get close. Nothing nothing grew when we got together. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't necessarily looking, but. He wasn't trying to do what he needed to do, and I just didn't see the compatibility. Would you so, ever get married again? Yeah, I get married again. Really? Absolutely. Okay, you love the institution of marriage. So here's the thing: mm -hmm. I'm not your traditional girl. We don't have to go to the justice of peace. Mm -hmm. Marriage to me is don't have to be a paperwork from the courthouse mm -hmm. ruling and running my mm -hmm. life. No, I will have a spiritual wedding. I'll even have a big wedding, but we ain't turning in no paperwork. 
to no courthouse. Right. You doing an Oprah. I don't know what Oprah did. Well, Oprah, she don't play games. She's protecting her money. Oh, okay. You know, with her situation, she's with Stedman. They're going to be together forever, but she did not go down there and get married so that she never has to really worry about Stedman coming in and getting the coin. Well, like I, I I don't know. I didn't look at it. I'm not looking at it like that. Mm -hmm. I just don't like, personally, this is me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I feel like if you want to leave, leave. If mm -hmm. I want to leave, leave. I don't feel like nothing has to join us together that makes us feel like we have to be together. So if you want to leave me and we're not compatible and I want to leave you, I feel like people should have that freedom. The freedom to that's, do that. That's me. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling nobody to do that. But if I'm with you and we love each other, we're going to stay together. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to go to the justice of peace? Mm -hmm. I have a spiritual wedding. I have the big wedding. I have the big gown, the trail down the street, all mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But we're not turning no paper in to the justice of mm -hmm. peace. And I've noticed over the years, I've seen relationship after relationship. With me? With you, um, right? Um. So, and I've even noticed, I think <laughs> most recently, I think it was some banter back and forth online about... Well, who is this guy and who is da, da da da? Why do you feel the need to share who you're dating on social media? I'm, I'm an open book, period. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how to be secretive. Mm -hmm. Like, if anybody knows me since I was a kid, I'm a big My, my mom used to call me Parrot. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, it's no secret. I, mm -hmm. I don't, it's not even about, to me, it's not about social media. It's about just media. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm with you, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. If I'm not with you, I'm not with you. So mm -hmm. I just, that's just me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not trying to hide nothing. If I'm happy, even if it's for the moment, hey. Even for, it's, it's just for that. Because I remember <laughs> one guy you dated, he had a problem. I can't remember, he was, I think he was in the music industry. So he had a problem with you sharing your life on social media. I think he wanted you to, you guys are going to dinner or something. You had your social media up and he was like, turn that off. And I never saw him again after that, right? You came back and you were you were basically like, this is how I make my living. This is me. If you don't this, like it, then right, don't be with me. You right. knew who I was before you got with me. So, so you your business issue, is going to come before any relationship. Like, it's, it's not, to me, my business is not my business. My business is my purpose and my assignment. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm up, down, happy, sad, you know, depressed, it's just my assignment. And mm -hmm. I, I love the journey of mm -hmm. life. I love just life in its entirety. So I don't mind publicly sharing my life because I know somebody somewhere in the world is watching mm -hmm. and it's an example, it's an inspiration, it's educational. So I just, it's just what I do. It's just what I do. And if you don't like it, you know who I am before you get with me. Don't get with me. I'm not gonna change who I am because of you. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna grow. Mm -hmm. And a part of my growth would be, hey, letting them know I'm with you, whether we together today or not tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I think your growth in relationships can help a lot of women too. Because exactly. I remember years ago seeing you share that one of your ex-boyfriends actually was involved with stealing your Rolls Royce or something like that. You had a very high-profile <laughs> car that was stolen. And you believe it was an inside job. Do mm -hmm. you still believe that? So he wasn't my boyfriend. Okay. We never was intimate or anything like that. Okay. I was like getting to know him. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it was an inside job. I know he stole my car. It's no doubt in my mind he stole my car, because the, when, when he called me, literally uh, he alleged that the car got stolen in that moment, right? So mm -hmm. if, if somebody calls you at 10 p.m. and say some guys just you know robbed me for your car with big AKs, at 10 p.m. the car should not ping in Vegas. So I think he didn't know, he didn't do his homework on Rolls Royces, his tracking devices mm -hmm. all throughout different mm -hmm. parts of the car. You cannot remove all of them. You don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. And so at 10 p.m., he said he was in Marietta getting robbed, but at 10.05, my car pinged in Vegas. There's nothing else to talk about. Mm -hmm. Did you immediately end the relationship? 
jail immediately. I mean, no, at first, so at first I didn't, I, I was naive, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. But then when I put two and two together and I really, really realized with the, when the detectives got involved and started asking me certain questions, like he carried on even, we was on the news, he, he the guy was on the news and everything, mm -hmm. saying that, I mean, describing they got me with big AKs and all of this stuff. But I knew it was a lie because the, the attorney, attorney, the uh, detectives helped me to understand like, ma'am, are you sure? You, this guy called you at 10 p.m. and I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, and they're like, there's no way possible that at 10.05, five minutes after you report this car is in Vegas, unless this happened prior, it takes time. No way your car could get teleported That's right. to Vegas. And so it was, I mean, I felt it in my gut after talking to him and I really put two and two together from talking to the detectives. Yeah, I know he stole my car. You know, the challenging part for most women, successful women, is finding a partner, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because you're so publicly known. Mm -hmm. People know what you have. It's, mm -hmm. You know, if you're not on social media, you can kind of play around a little bit, maybe not let people come to your home, maybe mm -hmm. not let them see. But in your situation, how do you, you know, open up to trust somebody if they try to pursue you? How do you know that they're really in it for Coach, well, for Stormy, and not because of what you have? So I didn't really have a criteria and uh, standards. I used to, you know, if you was into me, you was sweet and liked me, you was consistent and you text me, little stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, maybe he's, maybe he could be a candidate if you expressed mm -hmm. and showed some serious, you know, mm -hmm. liking. Now, like, no, I call it Chris. You gotta have Chris. You gotta have credit. You gotta have credit now. Mm -hmm. Like, not working on it, not fixing it. Like, do you have good credit? Mm -hmm. um, do you have, like, health routines? Do you care about your health? Um, do you have a house? Like at one point, I, I didn't look at that. No, do you have a house? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have investments? Do you make passive income some way, somehow? Because um, you can't need me. Like if I think you need me, you are automatically disqualified. Mm -hmm. um, and then the S in Chris is support. You gotta have some type of support around you. Some brothers, some uncles, some friends, some mentors. So literally just up until recently, I didn't have it laid out as my what my criteria was. So people slip through the cracks. I think that men these days look for help, not love. That's right. And they could pretend mm -hmm. real well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I didn't used to look at that stuff. As mm -hmm. grown as I am and as smart as I am, as much as I get this money, I used to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. I used to look at their potential. Mm -hmm. I ain't with that no more. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in a new relationship yeah. and it's not about, no, nah, he don't need me. He don't mm -hmm. need me for nothing. Mm -hmm. Whether I got more than him, he got more than me, he don't need me for nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's to me, What's most important, he needs my heart, my love, and my support. Not, can I put him up on how to make money with TLC? Can I help him build a downline? Can I help him with an investment? No. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that we got to look at that. We got to look at what is the man, what is he bringing? And, you know, I remember I come from the old school era. Mm -hmm. It was a time where if a man could handle you, he would be like, man, when I get my money up, I'm coming to get you. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't used to men being okay with pretending. Men would, would pretend like they'll drive around in a big car like it's theirs. They'll well watching, it's fake. They are, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I, I had to really, you know, take a step back to understand. Okay, Stormy, wait a minute. You, 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 you getting the dating thing wrong. Mm -hmm. What are you doing wrong mm -hmm. here? And so mm -hmm. I took a step back and got some mentorship and some coaching in the relationship area and came up with a list. And now I feel like I, I feel like I got it this time. Do you think your personality is so strong that it intimidates most men? A feminine man, yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I you said just be. a feminine. You, I think some masculine men can be intimidated by you. I haven't met a masculine man yet that was intimidated by me. Okay. I met feminine men. Again, we are both 
all of us, mixture of feminine and masculine. Mm-hmm. But when a man his when a man um, reigns in his feminine, I can't I can't do him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So if a man is more feminine than masculine, he's not my guy. He 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 wouldn't even be able to deal with me mm-hmm. because I would intimidate him. Mm-hmm. A feminine man. A feminine man. A yeah. real man is like, what's up? I like mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. They appreciate my my truth, my honesty. They appreciate my boss mentality. It's the feminine man that can't take me. But what about the the guy? You know, he's a manly man, but he's not making sixty million dollars, right? Let's say he makes half a million a year. He still can't afford the lifestyle that you're used to. Jumping on a jet, going to Dubai next week, heading to Dominican the following week. Da 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 da. How do you? How are you going to deal? Is he, he could be a great masculine man, but most of these men are going to be intimidated with the fact, even at a half a mil, some guys at a half a mil, for some women, that would be a catch. Kevin Samuels would say he is the top 1%. Mm. But that top 1% wouldn't be able to suffice your lifestyle. Get no money. If you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to the deal, I get you done. Every single one. Welcome to Coinology, the podcast.